Kale Clark here. Thanks for listening to my podcast. Check out Charity Mobile and prayerfully consider making them your wireless carrier. Mention offer code Relevant Radio and get a free phone. Don't delay. CharityMobile.com. That's CharityMobile.com. Fascinating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. A magnificent Monday to you. So glad that you're with me for another great week, hopefully, on The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. It is Monday. It is October the 30th, 2023. Yet tomorrow's Halloween, All Hallows' Eve. And we are going to have uh, a great show today, hopefully, on the eve of All Hallows' Eve. And you can call this number right now. 888-914-9149 to talk to me for free. That is the listener line for The Kale Clark Show, sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters, 888-914-9149. You can also email the program, kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. So happy to receive all the, the emails you guys have been sending me. Are really encouraging stuff. I'm glad you love the program. And it really does uh, make my day to hear from you guys. Kale at RelevantRadio.com. Send me a show idea. Become a shadow producer. If you've got a link, a story, or a question that you have, something I might have a take on, I'd love to hear from you. And you can also try to find me on social media on the X app at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. We have lots to talk about today, and uh, I can't wait to crack open... Yep, this episode, just like I cracked open a Diet Cola, and I'm uh, I'm not going to give the brand name because I, I feel it would be unfair to the others, So, but I'm going to get perked up, and I hope to get you guys perked up as well. Lots to talk about today. We've got uh, a couple of anniversaries, and one of them is, is not something people look back on fondly. It's the anniversary of the Great Crash. That happened yesterday. We'll talk about that later on, and also... A lot of you guys, because it's Monday, you're back at work, and over a billion of you are using a product called Microsoft Word. And some of you are happy about that. Some of you might not be. Uh, But nonetheless, that turns 40 this month. Can you believe that? Microsoft Word is 40 years old. Man, oh, man. And uh, there's a particular character who was involved with uh, Microsoft Word. You could say that he was the world's first virtual assistant long before Siri, long before Alexa, long before Google Assistant. Uh, This guy was on the scene, and he was pretty much almost universally hated. I'll I'll tell you more. You probably know who it is. Um, You can call in 888-914-9149. But I want to talk about uh, an incredible miracle that happened uh, that's mentioned in today's gospel where Jesus cures this woman who's essentially a hunchback, um, she is bent over. Uh, she is in really, really rough shape. And, and this is an interesting passage because it sticks in a lot of people's minds because of the way that Pope Francis talked about this a few years ago. So here's the gospel for today. And this is from Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. It says, Jesus was teaching in a synagogue on the Sabbath, and a woman was there who for 18 years had been crippled by a spirit. And that, that is interesting in and of itself. I just want to interject here that, that some illnesses do seem to have a spiritual background. I'll have to bookmark that for another time. She was bent over, completely incapable of standing erect. When Jesus saw her, 
he called to her and said, Woman, you are set free of your infirmity. He laid his hands on her, and she at once stood up straight and glorified God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant that Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, said to the crowd in reply, There are six days when work should be done. Come on those days to be cured, not on the Sabbath day. The Lord said to him in reply, Hypocrites! Does not each one of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his ass from the manger and lead it out for watering? This daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 years now, ought she not to have been set free on the Sabbath day from this bondage? When he said this, all his adversaries were humiliated, and the whole crowd rejoiced at the splendid deeds done by him. So that's a pretty famous account uh, from the gospel, and there's, there's a lot to, to be said here. One of which, one of the things we can say about this, too, is, is how, how Jesus notices people. He notices you. He knows what's going on with you and me. And this woman obviously would have been on the fringes of the crowd at the synagogue. And I don't know if you've ever been to the Western Wall, the famous Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. It's all that's left of the great Second Temple that was constructed under the watch of Herod the Great. It was the temple that was standing. And Jesus walked in the temple precincts. He was there at that temple. Imagine the Lord of the universe, the Lord of the temple, arrives in the temple. and People didn't know it was him. But when you go there to pray, they, they do separate, according to Hebrew tradition, the men and the women. There's sort of a court of the men and a court of the women. And, and that was the way it was done in the synagogues as well in Jesus' day. And, hey, I guess when you're praying, you don't want to be distracted by the latest fashions. And uh, uh, <laughs> I could get into a, a sidebar about uh, the way people dress at church, especially in the summertime. Not going to do that. Not going to go there. But having said that. This woman would, would not have been front and center. Jesus is dealing with all these leaders of the synagogue, and she would have been, you know, out on the edges, out on the fringes, if you will. But he, he sees her, he notices her, and he knows of her plight as well. That she, and he knows how long she's been sick, too. For 18 years, she's had this condition, I don't know, scoliosis essentially makes her a hunchback. And I see a guy like this every day when I go for a walk um, with my dog. There's a guy in our neighborhood, and he's a super, super nice guy. He's always out walking every single day, and he also suffers from this. He's, he's bent over. He's essentially a hunchback. And Jesus just lays his hands on this woman and cures her, and she stands up straight. Now, the reason why this has become kind of um, uh, well-known, especially in the pontific pontificate of Pope Francis, is that a lot of people think that his take on this gospel is one of the reasons why he got elected as pope. And this happened back, of course, in 2013, and um, Pope Benedict, of course, when he, when he resigned the papal office, just before the conclave started, there's something that the, that the, um, the cardinals do before every conclave, electing a new pope. It's called the general congregations. And what happens is there, there are these kind of meetings, and the cardinals can say something kind of quick. It's only a couple minutes, and everybody can kind of take their shot. And they have what are called interventions. Now, these interventions are basically their take on what's going on in the church and the world. And this is what I think the church needs. Maybe this is something we should look for when we're uh, electing the next pope. Who do we think God wants to be the next pope? So Cardinal Bergoglio, Jorge Bergoglio, who became, of course, Pope Francis, before the conclave, he, gave, he had his own shot at this. He gave his own intervention. It wasn't even for four minutes. It was a really, really quick take. 
But according to some people, they think that what he said on this particular occasion made people want to vote for him to be the next pope. And it's pretty striking. And one of the things about Pope Francis, no matter what your take is on Pope Francis, what he's up to, uh, we need to pray for the pope always, is that he? If you read any of his sermons, or if you if you've ever read the the transcript of any of his homilies, he's a he is very, very he's got a lot of great imagery in his preaching, and he, he's very arresting in his imagery. If you if you listen to Pope Benedict, Pope Benedict is an inc- was an incredibly great teacher, uh, and Pope John Paul the Great was as well. If you've ever tried to read John Paul's stuff, even scholars have trouble taking it apart. It can be it can be pretty complex. Pope Benedict was incredibly clear as a teacher, and his stuff. There's a saying in Rome. I don't know how true it is, but people used to say that they went to Rome to see John Paul II because obviously he was just an iconic figure on the world stage, and he was so involved in so many, um, so many great moments in the 20th century: the fall of communism, the assassination attempt. Um, everything that happened during his pontificate was was almost legendary, and he was theatrical in nature. I mean, he was a trained thespian himself. But uh, they, they, people used to say that people go, went to Rome to see JP too, even if they never read his stuff. They, they maybe they didn't read his stuff, but they they wanted to see him for sure, and they they wanted to be with him. But they went to Rome to hear Pope Benedict. They went to Rome to listen to Pope Benedict, and he has so much to say to us. Even today, I highly recommend you read any of his writings, especially his encyclicals and the Jesus of Nazareth series of books, which are absolutely outstanding, world-class in every way. But Pope Francis, when he preaches, it's very much, um, he uses a lot of arresting imagery. And this is one of the times when he did this. And before the conclave started, Cardinal Bergoglio, who eventually was elected as Pope Francis, he he mentioned this particular gospel. When he had the chance to talk to the other cardinals, this is what he said. It's really short, so I'm just going to read it to you. He said, quote, When the church does not come out of herself to evangelize, she becomes self-referential and then gets sick. And he started talking about this woman who had this physical condition, this hunchback, in Luke chapter 13. He went on to say this, the evils that over time happen in ecclesial institutions and church institutions have their root in self-referentiality and a kind of theological narcissism. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says, and he's kind of using this other image, he's kind of entwining these two images together. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says that he is at the door and knocks, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Obviously, the text refers to his knocking from the outside in order to enter in. But I think about the times in which Jesus knocks from within so that we will let him come out. The self-referential church keeps Jesus Christ within herself and does not let him out, end of quote. So that's kind of interesting. So a lot of this really grabbed the attention of a lot of the, the cardinal electors, apparently. Maybe a lot of them didn't, didn't know him personally, but this, this, it's always kind of stuck with me as well. This image of the 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 woman who's a hunchback. She's essentially navel gazing, not because she wants to, not because it's because she has to. She's looking at her own belly button all day long. And Pope Francis essentially said, "This is what the church is doing a lot of the times. We're, we're kind of looking at the lint in our belly buttons, and we're not standing up. Christ wants us to stand up, look out, look outwards to a world that really needs him. And, and very often, 
There's a lot of stuff that's that's going on within the church, and some of it's pretty nasty. Obviously, the abuse crisis number one on that list, but a lot of what's going on is is narcissism, and we're we're, we're concerned about ourselves. We're not concerned about how to preach the gospel. So, you know, he's obviously really big on this whole idea of, the, of a missionary church, the church as a field hospital, all that sort of stuff. I think there's a point there. There's no question. And again, where the and there's there's things about uh, his pontificate that people obviously have. There's a lot of chatter about it, but but I think on that point, I don't. I you'd you'd be hard for, pressed to find somebody who would disagree with with this idea that we should be evangelistic. Absolutely, hundred percent. And then he sort of combines this image with with Jesus in Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and that's in Revelation chapter three, verse twenty. Did a big series on Revelation for the faith explained. And people are interested in that book, obviously. And Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, and, and, and he will eat with me. And obviously, what people miss about that one is the door that he's knocking on is not necessarily the door of the individual human heart. There's a famous painting. Maybe you've seen this painting. And Patrick Alog, crack researcher who's uh, working the phones for us today on the K.O. Clark Show, 888 Nine one four nine. Maybe Patrick, you can look up who painted this. I didn't have time to look it up, but there's a very famous painting of Jesus knocking on the door, and he's carrying a a lamp. It's a it's a really cool painting, and he's knocking on the door of a church, and there's no doorknob on the outside. That's because the doorknob is on the inside. It has to be opened from within. And some people say it's a metaphor for the human heart. You have to open the door. C.S. Lewis used to say that the door to hell is locked from the inside as well because people essentially send themselves to hell by rejecting God, his plan, his grace, his forgiveness throughout their entire lives and just being obstinate in that. They send themselves there. It's not so much God sends them there. This is what they've chosen. And the same is true whether we respond to God. Now, in Revelation, actually, what's in play here is not the individual human heart. It's the church. It's the church. Essentially, Jesus can't even get into his own church. He's knocking at the door, open up for to me here. And obviously this idea of eating with him is a reference to the Eucharist, obviously the supper that he mentions there. And there's, there's a lot of chatter about even a lot of worship music, inviting Jesus into your heart, you know, that sort of thing. It's not necessarily a biblical idea of inviting Jesus into your heart, but, but you kind of get it, right? It's, it's letting him have possession of you. Your heart is really kind of the, the catch all phrase for not the muscle in your chest, but your, the seed of your will, your emotions, your intellect, your attitude, basically everything stems from the human heart, which is really part of you, your personality, your soul, whatever that is. We've got to turn it all over to Christ. But anyway, so the door in this painting is overgrown. There's shrubbery, there's vines, there's all kinds of stuff. has been open in years, and yet Jesus is knocking. It's, it's night, it's dark. Uh, the condition of the human heart without Christ, he's carrying this, this, this lamp, he is the light of the world. Actually, I think it's called light of the world. Yeah. Is that right? Okay, so Patrick has got me. Yeah, thank you, Patrick. It's William Holman Hunt. That's right. He's the artist, 1851 to 1854. And I believe the painting is called Light of the World. I could be wrong about that, Patrick. You can verify. Nonetheless, this idea of, of that Jesus needs to be let in. But here's the deal. Once he's inside, he, he wants to get out. He immediately wants to get out. He doesn't leave you. Of course, he's always with us, but he wants other people. He wants you to go out and evangelize other people. He wants me to do it as well. He wants the church to do it collectively. And so th- those are two powerful images that that we can get from from this gospel, and especially the, the, the bent-over woman that we mentioned earlier. So 
we have to be really careful sometimes because, especially in, in North America, in the United States, a, a big deal about being an American is rugged individualism. The, the idea of the cowboy, you know, is, is obviously huge in the culture. But when it comes to the people of God, it's always we we are always a member of the body of Christ, the collective community, the church. And so sometimes our faith can be a little bit too me-centric in a lot of ways, not just in, in terms of evangelism, not looking outward, but but the navel-gazing that we sometimes do spiritually. We, we sometimes say, how can I become a saint? Now, that's a good thing. We have to become saints, for sure. But if we're doing it just for our own sake, that's, that's a problem. We do have to become saints. But it's not just so that we can become holier as an individual, so that I can become holier, but it's so that others may as well, so that others may be brought into the church. And then, of course, there's this concept of we have to, in order to keep it, we have to give it away. We have to, in order for that muscle to grow, we have to, we have to exercise it. And it's the, the gospel is, is very different from almost anything else because we don't lose anything when we give it away. In fact, we gain more of it the more we give away. We, we exercise our faith and, and we're concerned about the, the salvation of the others. We do get better individually as Catholic Christians. So that's really important. And I think um, today's gospel helps us to understand that a little bit more. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. If you want to give a call, have a take on this. So when we come back, I'm going to talk about a couple of anniversaries. One of them is a little bit funny, I hope. Faith, Facts, and Fun is the name of the game on The Kale Clark Show. The other one is it was a dark day in the history of America, but it's something we need to think about in terms of not letting this mistake happen again. It's Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149. Be right back. Hi, this is Kale Clark. Thanks for listening to my podcast. Check out Charity Mobile and prayerfully consider making them your wireless carrier. They're a pro-life phone company and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to Relevant Radio or another pro-life charity of your choice. For a limited time, new customers who mention offer code Relevant Radio get a free phone with free activation and free shipping. Don't delay. CharityMobile.com. That's CharityMobile.com. Faith, facts, and fun. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. All right, welcome back to the program. It's a Maverick Monday. Remember we used to do those way back in the day? 888-914-9149. It's our listener line, sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. 888-914-9149. If you want to call in, have a take on anything that we're talking about during the show, or maybe you have a question about something completely unrelated. Well, guess what? I, I, we didn't have a show yesterday. Obviously, it was Sunday. But I did want to mention uh, what happened on this day yesterday, um, the 29th of October. Today is the 30th, of course. But on the 29th of October in 1929, the infamous stock market market crash happened. Uh, which plummeted the United States into the Great Depression. And uh, that was a major historical milestone in the history of the U.S. 
And the historian Heather Cox Richardson, who writes a, a daily newsletter called Letters from an American, um, really fine historian, I, uh, great historian of the Republican Party. I don't, I don't agree with everything that she says about stuff, but um, she's really good, uh, knows her stuff. And um, she talked about this uh, in her newsletter, and she talked about how five days before the crash, on the 24th of October 1929, the stock market also was rocked. There was heavy trading early that day. It drove it down. But leading figures in the, in, the, uh, in the banking community sort of saw it was happening, and they made some moves to try to stabilize the market before the end of the day. So it kind of worked. Although on October the 24th, a lot of small investors did get wiped out that particular day, but the system was still up and running. But on Monday the 28th, the market slid again. Uh, the key industrial average dropped 49 points. And then the very next day, everything hit the fan on October the 29th, the crisis. She writes, quote, When the gong in the Great Hall of the New York Stock Exchange hit 10 o'clock, the market opened with heavy trading, all of it downward. When the ticker tape finally showed the day's transactions two and a half hours later, it documented that more than 16 million shares had changed hands and the industrial average had dropped another 43 points. Black Tuesday was the beginning of the end. The market continued to drop and by November, the industrial average stood at half of what it had been two months before. By 1932, manufacturing output was less than it had been in 1913. Foreign trade plummeted from $10 billion to only $3 billion after 1929. Agricultural prices fell by more than half. By 1932, a million people in New York City were out of work. By 1933, 13 million people were unemployed. That's one out of every four people who were in the labor force. People couldn't pay their rent. They couldn't pay their mortgages. They started living in makeshift tent cities, if you will, made of shelters, made out of packing boxes. Herbert Hoover, uh, I don't know if he's the same guy who created the Hoover vacuum cleaner, probably not. A Republican President Herbert Hoover said Americans can combat the Depression. How? By being thrifty. Yeah, you just got to be more thrifty. Uh, morality. And that, that does make sense, obviously, because whenever there's a great crisis in society, morals fly out the window, all kinds of things happen. And uh, the fabric of society can be torn really, really quickly. And we've seen that even in our own time. Morality is key. And individualism. People have to rely on individualism. However, however, a lot of Americans uh, didn't necessarily buy it because only just a few years ago, a lot of wheeler dealers, big business people had kind of taken advantage of Americans in, in a lot of ways because... The, there's a, the, the Roaring Twenties. Everybody knows about the Roaring Twenties, right? And everything that was going on there. Al Capone shooting up Chicago, everything. But the Roaring Twenties, what a time. Worker productivity went up 43% in the 1920s, but wages didn't. So even though the economy was growing, people weren't, it wasn't filtering down to the average worker. And in 1929, it seemed like everything was going up to the, well, it wasn't the 1% at that time, it was the 5%. In, in the year 1929, 5% of the population was receiving one-third of the income of the United States. That, that's a lot. So in 1932, um, a new president was elected. You probably heard of him, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And then he brings in in 1932, he, had, he got almost 60% of the vote, 58%. 
and he that's when he brings in the quote unquote the new deal the new deal so they started to pass laws uh, protecting the rights of workers government jobs trying to regulate the banking industry regulate the stock market uh, chip away at what was still in the, in the American South. There's still a lot of segregation happening, unfortunately. And 8.5 million people got employed with this quote-unquote New Deal. Highways are built. A lot of the big highways in the United States got built during this time, more than 650,000 miles of highways. 125,000 buildings were, were built. 120,000 bridges were built or repaired. So it's a major infrastructure project. Um, collective bargaining of workers, minimum wages were established, maximum hours of, of a workday. The regulation, the, the F food and drug safety regulations were established then, and sort of the basic social safety net, if you will. And then General Dwight Eisenhower, of course, uh, great military fame. And I always think about the Eisenhower tree at Augusta National. Didn't they remove that tree? Golf fans, you might enlighten me on that. Cause, uh, and it was called the Eisenhower tree because every time you played that chorus, he would always hit that tree on that particular hole. But um, he may have got the tree removed, but, um, but he built on this, this system, and he added to the infrastructure in the United States. The Federal Aid Highway Act provided $25 billion to build more than 41,000 miles of highway across the country. That's when the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare was established. Um, Earl Warren was uh, established as a chief justice of the Supreme Court. He was a former Republican governor, and he was uh, a guy who was really key in protecting civil rights. Uh, NATO uh, was established at this time to stop the Soviet Union from spreading communism all throughout Europe. And Dwight Eisenhower said that his vision was, quote, a middle way between untrammeled freedom of the individual and the demands of the welfare of the whole nation, end of quote. And between 1945 and 1960, it did work. The GMP, the gross national product of the USA, jumped by 250% from $200 billion all the way up to $500 billion. So just a little sketch of what happened after the devastating crash of 1929, the stock market, which happened uh, in 1929, on October the 29th, uh, which was yesterday, today's the 30th in 2023, but nonetheless, uh, something worth remembering and how the United States kind of dug itself out of that uh, tragic incident, uh, which destroyed so many lives. There have been other stock market crashes and, and, and many crashes all throughout the uh, the next decades. Uh, the 2008 crisis, of course, everybody remembers that one. I even remember 1987, it was called, wasn't it called Black Monday, 1987? Uh, I think it was on a Monday when uh, that there was a huge crash in 87 and i remember as a kid i remember one of my my like st- you know, fellow students in my class he like we went to his house after school and his dad looked like like he, like his face was just ashen like he was he was a mess and my friend told me uh, my friend steven he said yeah my dad like like basically lost everything in the stock market today and it was it was really bad for his for his family. He was uh, he lost pretty much everything. And not long after that, unfortunately, yeah, it was Black Monday, nineteen eighty seven. Thank you, Patrick. Um, his parents divorced not long. I don't know whether it was because of financial issues or other stuff that was going on. I don't want to speculate, but but obviously it was an incredible uh, tragedy in the in the otherwise uh, wheeling and dealing nineteen eighties, the era of Gordon Gecko. 
<laughs> and all kinds of other things. But I, I do miss, other than that, other than 1987 and other, some other bad things that happened during the 80s, I do miss the 80s dearly, and I wish, I'm sure you do too. So let's go from the 80s to the 90s, because we have to mark another anniversary, uh, which some people are excited about, others not so much, but it's a product that you probably use or have used at some point, but it definitely changed the world. I'm talking about, hey, let me ask you this question. Do you speak the word? And I'm talking about Microsoft Word. Microsoft Word, in October of this year, is now celebrating its 40th anniversary. And um, Patrick Alug, my good friend Patrick Alug is working the phones. He actually flipped me this really interesting article about this uh, in, in BBC, on the BBC World News Service. And it's kind of interesting because it said that Microsoft Word, and I don't know if you hate Microsoft Word, you love it, um, let me know, 888-914-9149. Let's have a segment about a word processor, uh, word processing software. That should be great radio. No, actually, but uh, we don't want to turn this into a computer show, but having said that, this has really changed communication in the world. People don't understand how huge this was. I'm, I'm old enough to remember, and I'm embarrassed to admit this, but when I was in university, Maybe, maybe this happened to you, too. I actually had to take courses because I was doing this business degree, and I had to take some courses on MS-DOS programming. Remember, that was like when you had the cursor, just the black screen, and you're typing in all these commands. I, I guess it's probably, is it similar to modern-day coding? You know, everyone's doing coding now. Kids are doing coding. It's a big skill. It's a big life skill, programming. So you had to type all the commands. I took a, a whole course. I wasted an entire credit. On, a, on an MS-DOS command prompt kind of course, which and, and that, that just did not exist anymore after, after Microsoft Word because it was one of the first programs to ever use something called WYSIWYG. You know WYSIWYG? And that's an acronym, uh, capital W-Y-S-I-W-Y-G. And that, what that stands for, WYSIWYG, is what you see is what you get. So this is the where you actually you're sort of clicking on things, and everything's kind of laid out. There's no kind of it's very accessible, so you don't have to be a techie. It's a little bit like when the when the iPhone came out. Like children can figure out how to use this, how to press the icons and get the thing working. <laughs> and sometimes kids teach their grandparents how to use it for sure. So um, this was really like kind of a, a revelation when it came out. It was not the first word processing tool out there by any stretch of the imagination. There are more than 300 word processing programs on the market. There's one called WordPerfect. That was another huge competitor. I used to use that. I don't know if you guys remember that. But WordPerfect was a big deal. <clears throat> but just in over 10 years, Microsoft Word completely blew pretty much all those guys out of the market. And by 1994, Microsoft had a 90% share of the word processing market. So it launched in October of 1983 and in just 10 years, it captured over 90% of the market. So that's one of the best program, like best products, most successful products in history by that standard, by any stretch of the imagination. So right now there are over 1.4 billion with a B 1.4 billion windows devices in use every month. And a lot of companies still swear by it. More than 90% of Fortune 500 companies use Windows software. And th this is just unbelievable. This is, this is more than the, far more than the population uh, of North America. Th this, is, this, is, this is just wild. So 
here's a couple things that uh, I just want to say that, that Microsoft got sort of out and into the culture because of Word, because everybody used it. Some people say it's a good thing. Some people say it's a bad thing. This idea that the way that documents are supposed to look, a memo, a a report, uh, whatever, it's all the way that they look. They sort of got these standards because of Microsoft Word. Um, And then U.S.-based English, and obviously if you look at English in the U.K. or Canada, some words are spelled a little different. There's a lot of extra U's in a lot of words. But U.S. English became the global standard for business language because of Microsoft Word. It helped also English to become essentially the word language, the world language. Let's let's face it, it really is. Um, everybody has to know English to operate in the international community. It's just 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 the way it is. Autocorrect. That was another new thing. Uh, predictive text. So, some people say this made people worse writers because the way that those programs work when it suggests a word to you, the next word should be this. It's, it runs from the stock program, and it doesn't really have much to do with the way that you write as an individual. So some people say Microsoft Word has made everybody kind of more bland and boring and the same. I think AI might solve that a little bit, artificial intelligence, because it's going to help. It'll Programs will understand more the way that you write. But auto-completion, all of that is, is Microsoft Word. That's a huge thing. Um, so... Some people say, well, you know, the fact that this software became so ubiquitous, everybody had it, it helped create more writing, more projects, more books were written because of Microsoft Word. So overall, it's been a, been a positive impact. <clears throat> You're listening to The K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. But one thing that one uh, feature, let's call it a feature, it's probably more of a bug than a feature, that, uh, and it bugged a lot of people, no question about it, was... This character that was created, and perhaps you have fond memories or maybe nightmares about this character. I'm talking about Clippy the Paperclip. This is a an animated paperclip with googly eyes that would pop up when you're trying to write a document on Microsoft Word. And if you don't know what this looks like, if you're too young to you don't remember this, well, count yourself blessed. Uh, but you can look up images on Google search of Clippy. And he was like kind of the world's first virtual assistant before Siri, before Google Assistant, before Alexa, there was Clippy. And he had kind of a a tragic life, and maybe even more tragically, he's kind of been brought back. And I'll I'll tell you the scary news in just just a minute. But um, uh, again, it's hard to necessarily explain this on on the radio, but, but a lot of people really did not like this character. And I remember reading a piece about this on a, on a website um, a few years ago called Mental Floss. Um, it was about the tragic life of Clippy. And uh, I, I dredged up this, this article, and, and it was written by this guy named Jake Rawson back in 2017. But it was kind of updated for this year because Clippy is coming back. I hate to say this, but Coca-Cola, lots of, lots of big companies have stumbled throughout the years. Coca-Cola accidentally angered millions upon millions of soda drinkers when it tinkered, of course, with recipe, introduced new Coke in 1985, a ubiquitous moment. Netflix, you know, it's doing pretty well right now, but just a few years ago, they tried... Remember they had DVDs? That was how they started. Netflix was through getting DVDs in the mail. Well, for a while, they tried to have two different companies, one for DVDs and one for streaming. That was super confusing. You probably don't even remember that one. But Clippy, okay, so who is Clippy? This bouncing 
sentient paperclip. And in 1996, Clippy was introduced by Microsoft to try to help people, quote-unquote, I use the word help in quotation marks, try to write better as they're typing documents. So as soon as you start a letter, you'd say, Dear so-and-so, Clippy would pop out. And he would give you a very unsolicited offer. It looks like you're writing something. It seems like you're writing a letter. Uh, Can I help you with this? And maybe the first time you saw Clippy, you'd be like, Okay, that's, that's kind of funny, you know. But he kind of never went away because he, he kind of closed the window. Okay, let's close this this uh, this image here. I don't want to see this guy. But he would he keep coming back saying, "Oh, can I can I help you format this paragraph?" And, and, and then he would be kind of like looking at you in a really weird way. Like his eyes would be kind of looking back and forth, looking at reading your document. It's like he's reading your mail. It's like super rude. At, at any rate, um, a lot of people were really bothered by this guy, and. Clippy would eventually have to be killed off. How did this all get started? Well, I, didn't, I don't even know about this. I don't even know about this, but I don't, re- I don't remember this at all, but apparently Microsoft Windows had this interface known as Bob, an operating system called Bob. I don't remember this at all. Maybe you guys do, 888-914-9149. So apparently they were trying to be more like like the Mac. They're always trying to be cool like like Apple, and most of the time it doesn't work. So they, they created this operating system called Bob, and Bob apparently, when you looked at your, your screen, it looked like the rooms of a house. So if you go into the office of the house and you click on the checkbook that's on the desk, that would open up your financial software. Oh, very clever. And so I, I, I don't even remember this, but apparently this was released in 1995, and it never took off. It never took off. I, I, oh, oh, by the way, that's also when they introduced the... Uh, the monstrosity known as Comic Sans MS font. And if you don't know what that is, just Google it. But um, always a bad idea. I, I really, I really, this is why it's so funny that the Synod on Synodality, I don't know who, who the marketing geniuses were at the Vatican who did this, but they decided to make all the the advertising and the, the images for the Synod on Synodality. I think it was Synod on Synodality. Maybe it was the Synod on Youth. I don't know. You can verify this, Patrick. But but they used Comic Sans MS font in their in their official documents. Like uh, that's just not cool at all. Anyways, um, Microsoft did abandon this whole Bob platform, but that's where this character named Clippy. Clip. It, first, it was called Clippit. This paperclip personified, and eventually he became uh, known. Uh, the users kind of just kept calling him Clippy, and that kind of stuck. And they're like, you know, maybe we should, okay, we're getting rid of Bob, we're getting rid of this weird house thing, but maybe we'll keep the paperclip. And they, they tried to keep it, and they, they did, like, focus groups on this, they tried to get people, people's feedback on this, and everybody hated it. All the, all the focus groups were like, man, especially women were like, I think this paperclip is, like, leering at me, it's like, the way he's looking, it's, it's just, his eyes roving, I don't like it, I don't like it, I don't, it's very unsettling, get rid of it. But Microsoft is like, no, we're going to keep him in there. And apparently, one of the reasons why Clippy stayed... I'll tell you why he stayed in just a second. But, but you couldn't, it was really hard to even try to get rid of him because he, every time you, you click and close the, the image of Clippy popping up trying to give you advice, you keep coming back. You had to go into some weird like files in, in, in Microsoft Word and manually change the folder name to no actors. I don't want any actors showing up. I don't want Clippy showing up. I don't want anybody showing up. 
So apparently, apparently one of the one of the reasons why Clippy stayed, even though all the focus groups said they didn't like him, even employees didn't like it, was because apparently this was the creation of uh, Melinda French. Now, if you don't know who Melinda French is, she might be better known to you as Melinda French Gates. That's right. She eventually married Microsoft founder Bill Gates, and uh, they're tragically no longer together. Um, they got divorced in 2021. And it could be a kind of thing where, and if you're a CEO out there listening, it's always a good idea to make sure that employees can really speak their mind because sometimes they're afraid, like, oh my gosh, this is Bill Gates' girlfriend. I really don't think I should say I hate this. But um, apparently employees, it's one of the reasons why they, they oh yeah, Clippy's great. Yeah, keep, keep him. At any rate, um, if you remember Clippy, um, I'm probably dredging up. You're probably going to have to go for counseling, uh, even talking about this. But apparently he's come back. They killed him off in 2004, but he's coming back apparently in Microsoft Teams, which is one reason why I'm scared to use Microsoft Teams. I'll tell you that. But anyways, enough about Clippy. I don't want to give you nightmares on the eve of All Hallows' Eve. Some of you might even go out for Halloween dressed as Clippy. I don't know. That would certainly be scary. But... Um, Enough of that. We'll have more fun and sunny things to talk about on the other side of this break. It's Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Be right back. Faith, facts, and fun. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Have a question? Give Kale a call at 888-914-9149. That's right, and it's an excellent time to call in right now. 888-914-9149. Really, really good chance you'll get on the air if you call in during this segment. 888-914-9149. How are you going to handle Halloween in your household? Do you let your kids trick-or-treat? think it's too macabre. Gets, uh, do you feel it's, it's a little bit too... I don't know. I mean, even though it's perfectly compatible with, with Christianity, and as we talked about, Last week, the Day of the Dead festival, this idea of uh, a mockery of death. That's where a lot of the, the, the skulls and skeletons really come into play for Catholics. Jesus Christ has defeated death through his powerful resurrection. If you missed that episode, check it uh, in the archives on the relevant radio app. A lot of you guys might not be cool with this. Um, uh, oh, by the way, I should I should say that Michaela has decided to go out for Halloween this year as St. Therese. And let me tell you, she nailed the costume. Absolutely nailed it. And uh, big competition at her school tomorrow. All the kids are dressing up as their favorite saints. They have to give a little presentation. So that should be a lot of fun. 888-914-9149. Also, I'll tell you what, uh, Patrick Alog, who will take your call, 888 uh, he and I have been slugging it out all weekend in the relevant radio fantasy football league. And uh, he's he's leading me by a few points, but I'm using the Detroit quarterback, Jared Goff, tonight. Uh, Lions are playing the Raiders on Monday Night Football tonight. He's got a couple Raiders out there, Devontae Adams, um, Jacoby Myers, receivers. So uh, I don't know, man. I don't like, I don't know. I'm kind of worried about my chances, but I've got a couple Lions. I've got Jameer Gibbs, a running back as well. So it's going to come down to tonight. I, I foolishly, even though my team is called the Federal Borough of Investigations, I decided to bench Joe Burrow, who had a huge game yesterday for the Bengals against the 49ers. That was a huge mistake on my part. But I'm just trying to survive, as most of us are. Here's another thing, too. Um, 
just a, a fun thing that I that I that I read every once in a while. Um, there's a, there's an author named Morgan Housel. He wrote a book called The Psychology of Money. Really interesting book. Really interesting book. And every once in a while, uh, he puts out a, a blog post called "Smart Things Smart People Said." And it just has like fun quotes that he's found from people. They're really kind of thought provoking. And uh, you can find him on Twitter at Morgan Housel. And his last name is spelled H O U S E L. Um, here's a couple quotes that he put out just, just the other day. Uh, some smart quotes by smart people. There's a guy named David McRaney. I have no idea who David McRaney is. I probably should have Googled this before the show. But David McRaney said this. He sounds like a pretty smart guy because this is a good quote. Until we know we are wrong, being wrong feels exactly like being right. End of quote. That is so true, isn't it? And be, be honest. This is exactly what it feels like. Until we know we're wrong, being wrong feels exactly like being right. We so passionately defend our positions. And we think we're right. We think we're right, but we may not actually be. So it's always good to have, um, it's always good to have some, um, intellectual humility when, when it, when it, uh, when it comes to all, all that stuff. All right. Here, here's a, here's another one. Um, Oh, this is an interesting quote from Warren Buffett, no less. We talked about the stock market earlier. Certainly the Oracle of Omaha knows something about that. All right, Warren Buffett uh, said this, quote, Basically, when you get to my age, I, I don't know how old Warren is right now. He he's definitely in his 80s. I think he's 82, if I'm not mistaken. Let's see if I'm right. Patrick, I'm sure, will tell me in a second. Basically, he said, Warren Buffett, when you get to my age, you'll really measure your success in life by how many of the people you want to have love you actually do love you. Hmm. I like that. You'll measure your success by how many of the people you want to have love you actually do love you. He goes on to say, I know people who have a lot of money and they get testimonial dinners and they get hospital wings named after them. But the truth is that nobody in the world loves them. If you get to my age in life and nobody thinks well of you, I don't care how big your bank account is, your life is a disaster. End of quote. That's Warren Buffett. That's a pretty good quote. <clears throat> That's a pretty good quote. I like that. I like that. Um, this, this idea that people, you know, people get hospital wings named after them, big donors, they want their name on it. Um, but a lot of people, he says, a lot of these guys don't have anybody that actually loves them. Uh, here's a, and this is kind of related to, to Buffett's quote, a good, a good definition of success that I've heard, which is a good thing to strive for. Uh, and it, I don't know who said this, but it's very similar, similar to what Buffett said. Success is when the people that know you the best respect you the most. When people that, who know you the best respect you the most. That would be, obviously, your, your immediate family, your friends, people who hang out with you from day to day. That's a good definition of success, because you can fool people from a distance, but not up close. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149. Let's go to the phones. Let's go to Letty in beautiful San Diego, my one of my favorite, if not my very favorite American cities. Hi, Letty. Letty, are you still there? Are you Okay. Letty, Letty may have dropped the phone along with maybe some pots and pans and some other things. Um, we'll try to get Letty. Is Letty back? Is she on the air? Letty, are you there? Okay. We can't hear you. All right. So Letty has left the building for now, but uh, we'll see if we can get her back. Uh, 888 914 
888-528-9149. All right, let's go to John in Sugar Camp, Wisconsin. On line one. Hey, John, you're on the Kale Clark Show live. Hello there. Can you hear me okay? Uh, I, by the way, I'm on TalkBack, I think, Miranda. You might want to... I cannot hear John. Hi, John. Are you there? Now? I can hear can you, you now, hear my friend. Now? I sure can. Loud and clear. I got a question for you. Let's hear it. Shoot. Do you know what kind of fruit they took on Noah's Ark? Uh, is it, I feel like you're setting me up for a punchline here. Is it a joke? Or is this an actual yeah. question? Okay, okay, let's hear it. Okay, what, what kind of fruit did they take on Noah's Ark? Pears. <laughs> oh, man, that's good. That, that, I can't believe I didn't get that right away. That's, uh, that, uh, flew right, yeah, nicely done. Nicely done. All right, hey, John, that's a Thank good you. one. That's a really good one. I'm going to pass, pass that on to Michaela because she's going to be back next week with another round of Kid Jokes. So that's coming up next week on the Kale Clark Show. So uh, you will not want to miss that. That is an excellent joke. What kind of fruit? I man, that was that was so. I'm, I'm like Captain Obvious, man. I totally missed that one. That was unbelievable. So that was really good, really good. I thought that was an actual question because, like, I have this computer screen that's set up and and it tells you, you know, this guy is on the phone. He wants to talk about this, and I actually thought it was an actual question. So um, I was about to delve into some deep biblical wisdom about the different kinds of fruits and vegetables around the ark. No, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. But do we have Letty back? Is she is she back? Letty's back. All right, let's go to Letty on line two. Hi, Letty. Sorry, I don't know what happened earlier. Hello. Hi. No problem. Thank you. Hello. Thank you for getting my call. You're most welcome. What's, what's on your mind, Letty? Okay, so, you know, I am not a fan of the Halloween. Um, you know, okay. and, and I am very active in the church that I go to in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And this past Saturday, they have an event, was a dinner. So they have, you know, flyers that they put in the church by the door mm-hmm. that says, uh, bring your, your costume. It's going mm-hmm. to be a um, custom contest. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they put a scary um, pumpkin and everything. So some people got mm-hmm. very mad, you know, and they asked me yeah. why. Why we allowed that? And I say, well, you know, we really don't agree with that. But, you know, it's just for the fundraising. And I think, uh, and it's true, they should, I think that they should name it like a whole festival or something. No, okay. Halloween. Dinner. So, how can I address that to the priest? Yeah, that's, uh, because that's his a, view. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I would say, I would say again, like uh, Halloween. Of course, the meaning of the word Halloween is simply All Hallows Eve. It's the Eve of All Souls Day, or sorry, a, a All Saints Day. Excuse me, on November the first, and then November the second, the very next day is All Souls Day. Um, I, so there's nothing wrong with Halloween. Maybe some of the costumes do go a little bit too on the macabre side for sure. But, oh, we've run out of time. I'm so sorry, Letty. But try to call back tomorrow and we can talk about it, hopefully. Actually, Brooke Taylor will be in tomorrow, so you won't talk to me. But she's got an incredible show. Don't miss it. Miranda and Jim produced today. Patrick Alog took the phone calls. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.